Welcome. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Marketing Mind. On this show, I have conversations with my friends in marketing. These experts are the best in their fields, and we dive deeper into their journey. How do they get to this point? What were the hurdles along the way? And where are things headed? My name is John Ellis. I am a marketing professional. I've been in the digital marketing for close to 20 years now. In that time, I've met a lot of great people and a lot of great experts. You can find me on Twitter every day discussing marketing. Join the conversation or just ask me any digital marketing questions. If I can't help you, I know an expert who can. So find me on Twitter at John W. Ellis. Now, we use these episodes to get to know these marketing experts. How did they get to this point? What was the path? And oftentimes, we're seeing this left turns from where their career started to where they are now. And thank you so much for the response and comments from the last episode. We've had, we have several more conversations lined up, and I can't wait for you to hear them. Today, I looked inside the marketing mind of Dave Delaney, and you can find me at davedelaney.me or davedelaneyspeaks.com. Uh, my business is Futureforth at futureforth.com. Dave was another online marketing friend of mine. He was one of my first introductions into the Nashville digital space many years ago. And that's not unusual to say around here because when you get to know Dave, he's the first for many people. He's a networker. He's a master communicator. Meeting new people is what he does, and it's what he does well. He, like many of us, have had to adjust a little more to what's going on, the new lifestyle we have. But again, adjusting is what comes natural to Dave. We started out our conversation by talking about some of his current projects. Here's Dave. I've been doing a lot of LinkedIn audits for individuals. So I, I do like a live LinkedIn uh, profile audit. So for 500 bucks, I'll spend an hour plus, depending. I'm not really a stickler on time as long as it's at least an hour. Um, but I'll, I'll spend an hour over the phone with a client reviewing their LinkedIn profile and giving them advice on how best to optimize it. Um, for what the specific goals are that they have. So if they're looking for a job or to change jobs or whether they're looking to recruit or they're looking to just grow their business brand and so forth. So the LinkedIn thing is, is keeping me busy. I'm still speaking, a, a, not as much, but I'm still speaking. But of course those, uh, those presentations are now delivered virtually. Uh, and then I'm working on some ideas. Um, for some other things that I might package up. So like the LinkedIn, the, the, the LinkedIn stuff I do, I do the audits like, uh, like I just mentioned, but then I also do, you know, I can do like a full half day intensive, you know, LinkedIn review, but then all this stuff all, also always incorporates, you know, Google analytics and digital other app, other assets, depending on what's included and what the client's doing and so forth. Um, but I also do like a half day workshop as well. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking about, uh, pack, this isn't something I'm pitching yet at all, but packaging up, um, for companies that have had to let their teams go, team members go, uh, for, for companies laying off, often they're looking for like transition ideas to help their employees transition. And, you know, at the very least, the LinkedIn profile audit would really help. Um, individuals who are transitioning. So I'm thinking about packaging something up and an offer like that to companies who are laying people off so that they can offer that at a discount to their team members so, or former uh, team members. So, you know, whether it's a LinkedIn audit 
profile or a profile audit, excuse me, or whether it's for, you know, specifically for a company doing the displacement work, um, you know, I can, I can do that too. So, so that's been something I've been mulling over and need to, need to put together and start pitching out to, to folks. Hey, so we could, can we talk about your, uh, like your history for a while? Like where are you, uh, I mean, I know part of this just, just from knowing you, but where, where are you from? Um, I'm from, uh, Toronto originally. So yeah, moved to Nashville in 07, I think it was. It's all blur. Um, was from that Toronto a, originally. Did you, I mean, did you, was there always, always a plan to move down here or did that just kind of happen? It kind of happened. Um, I took a trip to Ireland in 98 and met my wife there and who is from Jackson, Tennessee. And, uh, yeah, so we lived, we lived in Ireland and Scotland and some other places in Europe for a few years. And then we moved to Toronto together for, for six years there. That's six winters for her, uh, <laughs> which were more than enough and, uh, had two kids there and we still have them. Uh, <laughs> it's good. Know, but good. you know, they're, they're, well, they're teenagers. Now, we'll so. see how it pans out. Yeah. yeah I mean, the jury's still out. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so we lived in Toronto for six years and then moved, uh, to Nashville, um, from Toronto. I didn't realize you just said, I, I knew you like spent time in, uh, Europe and Ireland. I didn't realize yeah. you actually lived there though. I thought maybe you just yeah. visited, visited. No, no, no. Yeah. I lived, so in 1996, I backpacked, uh, England, Ireland, France, Spain, and Portugal just by myself for a summer. And, uh, I fell in love with Ireland most in that trip. Um, although Portugal was a close second. Uh, but being a Delaney, Ireland would seem to be more. <laughs> you blended more in sense. more. I blended in more, yes. Um, uh, so 96, I traveled and fell in love with Ireland. So I decided I'm going to spend, rather than spend some touristy, you know, weeks in the summer months in Ireland, I wanted to spend a year there. And so, um, so 97, I worked in Toronto and just saved as much money as I could. I didn't, never went out. I didn't do anything. I just saved money so that in 98, I could move to Galway, Ireland on the West Coast. And that's now this is I'm like 97, going. 98. This is, this is post college, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, it's interesting, actually. So um, I studied radio and television broadcasting uh, and majored in radio broadcasting in 2004 through 7 uh, or 6, 7. And then after moving to Toronto and getting married to Heather, um, I was kind of lost. I didn't really know what I should be doing professionally. And she was the one who encouraged me to um, start to get my degree, my business and marketing degree uh, at university there. So I did that actually part-time in the evenings and on weekends and so forth. Um, sort of a lot of it was remote. Or no, that's not true, actually. A lot of it was in person, but um, some of it was remote. Um, and then got my degree then. So I kind of did things backwards, which is sort of the case for a lot of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. It's interesting though, cause I, I, cause radio broadcasting seemed like a, a nice fit for some of the early podcast. You were doing podcasting. I, I think it feels like in the early days. I don't know. At least early to me. Yeah. Yeah. We started podcasting in 2005. So, um, I had the, we, we had the second parenting podcast, which was called Two Boobs and a Baby. What do you mean? Uh, you, had so, the, you had the second, like second period? Just period. The second one? Oh. Second ever. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, first in Canada, <laughs> nice. but uh, 
but second in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. I wish we had first, but you know. Um, yeah. So second, yeah, we did the second parenting podcast and that ran from 2005 to 2008. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then after we still did it a little bit towards when we moved south. Um, we still did a few episodes and, um, but, uh, you must have done a little bit because I, I vaguely remember it. So I do at least remember. Yeah. It, it being around you. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, yeah, we did. We did. And we actually had, um, the, uh, the Jackson Sun newspaper, uh, in Jackson did a, uh, big, uh, big article about us and featured us and stuff, which was cool. And so the idea was to, Really just to record it and, and kind of share with our friends and family around the world, um, you know, how, how the pregnancy was going and, and subsequent second pregnancy was going and sort of, you know, that those very early baby days. Um, and when I, I recorded some audio about it, uh, you know, about that, um, kind of discovered podcasting in 2004 and, uh, got really turned on by the idea of, of sort of citizen journalism or, you know, internet radio on demand. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, so my nerdiness, um, came out in spades when we decided, yeah, let's, let's, or let's start a podcast. And so, uh, yeah, so, and, and it was great because we, there was a very vibrant Canadian podcasting community. There was a podcasting, uh, um, conference uh, called podcasters across borders pad later called pad um which was out of kingston ontario which is sort of between toronto and montreal but anyway so i went to their first conference in 2006 and then 2007 as well and it was just such a cool thing and to to meet so many people that i listened to it was a lot of us meeting for the first time face to face um and there were some some Americans there, others from other countries as well. Um, but it was primarily Canadians and mainly from sort of Eastern central Canada. Um, but yeah, it was a great kind of celebration of, of podcasting in its really earliest days. So yeah. Did you know, cause I know things have advanced since then. Did you have a sense of like numbers? If people were listening how many were listening, if it was even being downloaded at all? Yeah, we no, we at the peak, we had around 10,000, um, listeners or downloads. I don't, you're not doing it now, are you? No, I consider, consider myself a recovering podcaster <laughs> right now. Cause I know you've done think, different things over the years, but I don't think. Yeah. So I did. I, so we did the, the parenting podcast. I went to the podcast, uh, what was it called? Podcast new media expo PNME in Ontario, California in 07 and, uh, met, uh, a, a podcaster from Los Angeles, Tim Coyne. And so the two of us created this improvised podcast where we would take two Twitter profiles and read their tweets kind of randomly. Oh, I think, yeah. I, uh, I think I yeah. And it was, it was just kind of a, tra- every episode was kind of a train wreck. It was pretty funny though. Um, and, and to script a show only with tweets uh, from two different people. So, we did like 10 episodes and just as an experiment. And then, um, after that, I was doing marketing f- and promotions for, uh, Jumpstart Foundry, which is a business incubator accelerator in Nashville. And so I started podcasts for them. 
uh, and interviewed, that was an interview show where I interviewed quite a lot of entrepreneurs and authors and so forth. And then, uh, from there, um, in 2013, my book, New Business Networking came out and I, uh, which you kindly, uh, did a selfie with, uh, <laughs> and, uh, did a podcast called NBN Radio, New Business Networking Radio. And I did, uh, about 55, 53 episodes of that show. And that show was an episode, was a interview show, uh, with, Again, with the sort of entrepreneurial, um, authors and speakers who all had some sort of expertise, uh, around the topic of professional networking. So you grew up in Canada. Were you, um, I, I can't imagine like this career being you both have. It's not really something we sort of dreamed of having because it's not, what do you think you'd be as a kid? What do you think your, your, uh, adult life would be like? What's your career? Would yeah. Be? Um, that's a good question. Um, I definitely wanted to like, be a comedian when I was a kid and, and I did a lot of like, uh, crank calls. I still have cassettes of crank calls that I did. Um, and, uh, I was a class clown and stuff. So always, always loved comedy and wanted to do something with that. And radio was something of interest as well. And, and so I kind of had hoped to do like a, a job as a morning show host or something. I don't know. Um, but I did, so I, I studied radio broadcasting and then, or majored in that. And, uh, and then part of the, the challenge is I realized that I lived in the market that every aspiring radio person wants to work in because Toronto is the largest city in Canada. Were you, uh, like as a kid, were you like, uh, what's the word geeky? Like, were you into computers and gadgets? Yeah, definitely. And- yeah. I was, um, uh, my first kind of excitement over like, technology and communication via technology was like CB radios, uh, like talking on the CB radio at my cottage to like friends on their boats and vice versa and stuff. Um, so that was super cool. And then, uh, I ran, I I got a, uh, my first computer was a TRS 80, uh, trash 80 from Radio Shack. And, um, I programmed it I had a little printer that was the size of like a POS printer, at, you know, at a restaurant or something. And, um, and the big dot matrix, of course. And, uh, so when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, which automatically gets me of course. nerd cred there. That, che- that checks, yep. that checks out. Uh, but when, <laughs> if you played D&D, you knew that like when your character got killed, it took forever to create a new character because you'd have to roll the dice like, so like 30 times for each different characteristic to build another character. It took forever. Um, so I created a little script that would, you'd enter the character's name, press return, and it would just, it was like a random number generator and it would just automatically populate this sheet of paper with like, you know, dexterity and charisma and so forth. And it would just automatically create randomly a character so my friends and I could continue playing. So that was my first like little, program on my trash 80, but I got really excited about technology when I got my Commodore 64, um, because, uh, and a modem, because then I discovered BBSs, uh, bulletin board systems. And so then I created my own bulletin board system, uh, which was tons of fun because, you know, my, my house, I only had, you know, I live with my mom and my brother and we had like one phone line. So I could only run my BBS from like a midnight to like five or six a.m. So 
you know, because, you know, otherwise the phone would be ringing during the day. And so I would sleep with my monitor turned off and my ringer turned off on my phone. And, you know, so the disk drive, if you know Commodore 64, the disk drive, you know, would, would have a red light, meaning it's not doing anything. And it would just kind of be glowing red. And then I would go to sleep and I would wake up in the middle of the night hearing the disk drive spinning. I'd hear the noise and I open my eyes and the room would be glowing green. So I knew that somebody was on my computer right then. Um, so I would jump out of bed and go into sysop mode and start chatting the person that was using my computer. And, uh, so yeah, so that was kind of my first taste for, for online communication, you know, before the, uh, this crazy internet fad. Yeah. Well, we'll see if it lasts. Yeah. So when you came, when you came to Nashville, was that kind of your first sort of, I guess, industry sort of gig? No. In this business? No. Um, beginning of my career was in performing arts, marketing and promotions and publicity. Um, so I worked for a small company in, in Toronto briefly that kind of ended up closing or that side of it closed. Um, and then I got hired as marketing manager for the Toronto production of Hairspray, the John Waters Broadway musical. So that, so that was my show in Toronto. Um, and then I worked on some. I assume that was all, is that, was any digital involved in that or was it all off? Offline. Well, it's interesting because yeah, back then I would be hired for a comp- hired for a role in this case marketing manager, but I would bring in I would do digital things. So I was the one who created the the uh, flash banner ads for Hotmail, uh, right? With you know, <laughs> and I created a forum for aspiring actors to network with one another, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and I. I did develop the email newsletter, but I certainly, you know, contributed to that as well. So those weren't necessarily in the, the job posting, right. the job description. You sort of brought that to the table. Right, right. Um, and I've always done that, like with all the jobs I've had. So like from there, I built, you know, I had a good relationship with the promotions department at the Toronto Star, which is like the largest newspaper there. And, uh, so from, from when Hairspray closed, I got hired as the, as a promotions executive for the newspaper. And then when I moved, so, so I left that job to move south. We met through bar camp. Yes. How did that come about? What, what, did you, did you experience a bar camp before you got to Nashville somewhere else and you wanted to bring it there? No. Um, so bar camp happened because, so, you know, and, and my book, New Business Networking is all about, you know, and I actually shared some of this story in, in the book. Um, but part of it was, when I moved to Nashville, I didn't really know anybody. So I had to kind of network my way to getting a job. Um, and we were actually living in Jackson at my, my in-laws place temporarily until we, you know, until I found a job and we bought a house in, in Nashville, um, which ended up being a little longer than we had planned. Um, but I digress. So what happened was, um, uh, I, I met with Clint Smith, who's the founder of Emma here in Nashville. Clint and I met and just really headed off and, but Clint wanted to, he wasn't, I wasn't going to apply for a job. I was just networking and got introduced to him and he wasn't openly hiring. Um, although he had me in mind for, for a new media manager position, this, this kind of running social media before social media had a name. It was new media back then. And so he set me up on a blind date with Marcus Whitney, who Marcus was the CTO at Emma at the time. 
So Marcus and I met for coffee and we hit it off instantly and became fast friends. Um, like we really just hit it off and we were talking about Nashville and sort of the technology scene and he's uh, a transplant from New York and had been here a few years at that point. We started talking about the challenges, you know, moving to a new, or he was talking about the challenges of like the technology community in Nashville sort of not really connecting in person yet. So long story short, we decided, okay, well, let's, yeah, let's do a bar camp. Uh, Marcus is more familiar with the bar camp format than I was. So he was telling me about it. I got really excited about the idea and kind of ran with it. And uh, at that end of that coffee meeting, Marcus was like, oh, by the way, Clint wants to hire you. <laughs> <laughs> like it was kind of like an afterthought as he was leaving. Um, so he's like, so you should really take that job. And I said, okay. So I took the job. And so while working with Emma, we put together the, the first bar camp uh, in Nashville, um, you know, with, with friends, started uh, kind of piecing that together. And that's how bar camp came together. And you were at some of the early planning events. You know, when we decided to do PodCamp Nashville, right after BarCamp, we were like, we should do a PodCamp. What point did you decide to, I mean, was it a conscious effort to decide you're going to work for yourself and be by yourself, or did you kind of forced onto I also, Well, I started Geek Breakfast as a way to kind of keep the community together each month. So it gave everybody an excuse to get together. And so I did that on the way to work. But no, so I left... When I left Emma, my plan was to just go out on my own. I was sort of in, kind of inspired by folks. So I decided, you know, since I'm leaving, I'm going to just do my own thing. And what happened was when I sort of, when word got, I guess word got out that I was leaving and doing my own thing, uh, the CEO of Griffin at the time, Dave Owens, uh, who also spoke at Bar Camp, and um, Mark Rowan, who was... Uh, I think he was like head of, I forget what he was head of, industrial design or something like that. At, uh, at Griffin at the time, Mark knew me and David knew me a little bit, or Dave knew me a little bit. So they took me out to lunch and they um, basically offered me a position at Griffin to do what I did at Emma at Griffin. And so, um, so it was sounded like a pretty good deal. I decided to take the job. It, it sounded really good. So I had to write my own job description, which I always joke that like, had I not got it, got the job after writing my own job description, that would have been really pathetic. Um, but thankfully it, it worked out that I did get my, did get the job there. Um, and then I ran social media promotions, sweepstakes, email marketing, affiliate relationships and programs. and Yeah, now that feels like that's four or five roles you just said right there. Oh, it was insane. Yeah, it was a lot of work, but it was really great, especially the earlier days. But, um, yeah, so I worked with Griffin for four and a half years. And then you're just doing your own – is that your – do you kind of have a career plan or, or, or a career vision board? Where you want things to go, or you just sort of just sort of wing it and see what happens. Um, I wouldn't say I had a super clear vision per se, but I definitely had an idea of like what I wanted to be doing. How'd you? How did the book come about? Was that did somebody approach you? Or was that your idea? Or right. So, um, so the book New Business Networking came. Uh, a book about networking came as a result of me networking. Go figure. So uh, I was speaking at a conference uh, in Nashville, and um, there was a table. Just a handful of sponsors had like a little exhibit space, and each had their own table. And I saw this woman who looked 
pretty bored behind this table of books. So I, you know, trying to practice what I preach, I, 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 you know, I'm a big believer in talking to strangers, unless you're my kids. Uh, so I went over <laughs> and, uh, introduced myself and I noticed that some of the books, you know, I was friends with some of the published authors from, from this publisher Q, which is a subsidiary of Pearson. And so Catherine, which was her name, and I started chatting and she said, you know, what's your book? And I said, well, I don't have a book. And she said, no, what's your book? And I'm like, what? Um, and I had had an idea about a book about kind of professional networking and how you can use social networks for this, but also, you know, organizing your own events and the stuff that I had done and then attending events and so forth. So I chapters, I got chapters on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Google Plus, uh, too soon, I know. Um, <laughs> and, and then I had chapters on, you know, even podcasting, but then also podcast, uh, also chapters on, you know, business card etiquette and tips around business cards. And so, yeah, so I proposed, I, I told her this idea and she said, oh, I love it. And so we exchanged contact information and she sent me a proposal. I filled it out. And next thing I knew, I had a book deal. Wow. That's how it went. Wow. So this is still early days of me doing my own thing and trying to figure out, you know, best practices for running my own business and learning all the sort of inner pieces of, of running my own business. Um, and so suddenly I had a book contract and six months to write a book. Um, and so, you know, and I had these hard dates to deliver, you know, each quarter of the book, um, which helped me definitely, you know, I didn't miss any of them, but, um, it was definitely quite an ordeal of, uh, of writing my first book that way. So, yeah. Was it, uh, like, was it worth the effort if you had to do it, do it again? Was it a reward worth the effort? Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely was. Um, you know, I mean, professionally it adds credibility, of course, and that, that, that's good. Um, but it's also, you know, it's personally, it was a big, a big, uh, you know, goal and something that, you know, I was, didn't know if I'd ever do, but it was able to do, to accomplish. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely worth, worth doing. And I learned a lot through the experience as well. And, and, uh, yeah. And it also inspired me to, to launch networking for nice people.com and that website. So, uh, and that community. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if the, if the opportunity came up again, you wouldn't necessarily say no, you would. No. And I'm actually working, you know, right now on, on my next book. So, um, and I also okay. have another one that I squeezed in there, which was a, more of a little mini, mini ebook called improve with improv and how you can use improv oh, yeah, skills and yeah. in, in the way you communicate something else that is a passion of mine. And you know, if your listeners go to nicemaker.co, which is where my newsletter is, you can get a, free copy of that book if you're interested improv is a big part of like just your your dna isn't it That's yeah who yeah, you are for sure and how had you uh managed to connect that to like business right so well when um so i you know i studied improv with second city in toronto and, and went through their their program and then i moved to london for a summer and i performed improv a few times there and then when i moved to ireland um i was really craving uh, to do it again, but there was no, you know, no troops there or anything. And so I, I, there was a class, an improv class. So I went, I talked to the teacher and she was like, Oh, cool. And I told her I wanted to create an improv troupe. And so she invited me to come and kind of cherry pick some of the students. So I did that and then created an improv troupe there. And we performed every Thursday night for about a year or so. 
Um, and during that time, I was invited to go to deliver a communications course to a, uh, a technology company there on, uh, on, you know, how to improve communication with improv. And so it was, it was basically an improv, uh, course. Um, but, but in a professional sort of setting and it went over really well. And I sort of put that, you know, I did that a, a few times and then, you know, kind of fast forward years later, um, I was speaking at a HubSpot's, uh, conference inbound in Boston. What could I say about social media that hasn't already been said? So I pitched the idea of a presentation called improve with improv, which is what the little book is based on. And, uh, they loved it, and so I delivered that presentation, and the feedback was was fantastic. Um, and it's available; you can find that presentation on on YouTube. And that presentation then evolved into, um, and after that, excuse me, I had agencies reaching out to me saying, "Can you come and do an improv class for our company?" And so I developed a curriculum called the Communication Mastery around working with organizations to help them in a half-day workshop on on how to improve the way they communicate um, and how to improve their cultures through using improv skills to improve the way they communicate. Um, and it's not just improv. There's more to it than that, but improv is a big part of that as well. Um, so I started doing these workshops. I just did, I guess, the last one last year was FedEx in, in January in Memphis, and yeah, so then I developed the, the improve with improv presentation became the um, master communicator secret weapon keynote and started, de- I started delivering that as a, as a keynote, which I also do as a virtual uh, webinars or, you know, virtual conference uh, presentation. And that format is, you know, the feedback from that's been really good so far as well. But for that, it's to the organizers, I explained that the, the master communicator secret weapon um, can help people achieve three main things. One, learn not to fear failure. Two, lead with acceptance and empathy. And then three, actively listen. And those skills come from improv. What I normally do um, when I talk to conference organizers or, or event planners, you know, I reveal that the master communicator secret weapon is, in fact, improv. But what I prefer they not do and what I try not to do is leak it to the audience before the event um, because sometimes the term improv can throw people off or it can confuse them or it can seem kind of cheesy or it can seem sort of, you know, it's going to be a comedy show. I've had some people not know what improv is at all, um, which confuses them even more. And I rather, I rather, because the, the essence of that talk is, you know, that these skills can be applied in your day-to-day life and in your business um, so I share how you can you can do this without ever taking an improv class or performing any kind of improv. So that's sort of the essence of of the master communicator's secret weapon talk. All these skill, I mean, I guess we we all do this, but literally all these skills you've learned in life from improv to radio kind of all kind of fit perfectly now to what you're doing now. It's kind of you kind of took everything you had and made this into a career. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so. What I realized was it, it all comes down to communication for me. You know, whether it's writing my blog or writing a blog post or, or excuse me, writing a book or whether it's speaking at a conference or a network or whether it's connecting people and introducing them in a networking sort of way, um, or whether it's communicating online or offline in person or online using social or what have you. 
So yeah, I mean, for me, it all comes down to communication, and that's really my my sweet spot is around and what I say is I'm, I help people reach their I help businesses reach their people. So whoever it is that you're trying to reach, I help you figure out how to reach those people. And it may be trying to reach your internal team. It might be reaching, trying to trying to improve things in a culture sort of point of view. Or it may be trying to build your brand and reach new customers. Or it might be an individual looking to try to reach a new employer or a, or a recruiter. And, and that's through you know some of the work I do with LinkedIn profile audits and things like that. And, and digital marketing consulting as well. And I was going to say the only thing that can stop a master communicator is a global pandemic. Right. But even even that, I guess you find ways, whether it's through, through Zoom or whatever ways to to communicate with people. Yeah, I mean, for, have classes of seminars. Right? Yeah, for sure. Like I just did, I just did a uh, the master communicator secret weapon talk for 150 uh, international employees at a company. And I just did it virtually, and the feedback was great. The founder and, and uh, his associate both left, you know, really nice LinkedIn recommendations on my profile. And so, yeah, it was, you know, yeah, just finding new ways to communicate. That's, that's what's key right now, at least. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm surprised it's really taken us this long to have this recorded conversation, at least. Hey, Lister, thank you for being a part of today's episode. I always appreciate you making this part of your podcast routine. Be sure to subscribe so you're the first to know of these new episodes. If you haven't yet, leave me a review or comment in Apple Podcasts or however you are listening. I'd love to hear from you. Reviews and stars, of course, are always welcome and helpful. As always, you can find this podcast and all their major channels. Join the discussion online. Let's talk about even more marketing. You can find me on Twitter every day at John W. Ellis. Thanks again. And we'll talk soon.